0: welcome welcome to a latest edition of the like it or not podcast i'm your host big ben shady and welcome to the show of like it or not today we are going into part two of make wrestling great again we are gonna pick up after what we left off at the end of the first one um coming back with a few things to touch upon before we dip into Part 2 fully and um, discuss some more topics. And this is Part 2, of a three-part discussion of why wrestling, you know, make wrestling great again. How wrestling was hot and wrestling falling off right now and bad times and what wrestling can do to be good again. Okay, um... Before we jump into everything, I'd like to give a shout-out to my boy, Whiskey Nick, and uh, his podcast, Keep It Down. Jim, Check that out when you got the time. Listen to his old podcast, his newer episodes, old episodes. Whatever you miss, check up on that. Catch me on social media, regular Facebook, Ben Marchesky. Uh, Twitter, benjela 12 Instagram, the Polish guy you'd love to hate. Uh, don't really do TikTok or nothing right now, no Snapchat. Um, yeah, look me up anytime. So, we are going to, first thing we're going to touch upon and talk about Brett the Hitman Heart. His time in WWF was a stellar. He had a stellar career. He started out, you go really way back to his dad's Calgary Stampede wrestling and everything, and he got himself involved in that. But I remember him seeing him in the WWF. Excuse me. He started out in the WWF. He, uh, seen him tight team up with Jim the Anvil Nightheart as they were the original Heart Foundation. And that and uh, that was a hell of a tag team too, you know, in the 80s, 80s WWF, man, they had all their main tag teams. Everything Demolition, the Legion of Doom, the Rockers, you had you know, the Heart Foundation, Jim, Brett, and Jim. What was the other one? Legion Legion of Doom, I said that. Uh, The Barbarians. And the Mega Powers, Hogan and Savage. And all the other little tag teams that these guys created. Uh, Brett Brett flourished in his career and everything. And um, got to a point, like I said, back in my first podcast. Is when I started... Watching it, getting back into it again, 95, 96, when he was having uh, issues, and he was kind of like turning his heel as a bad guy. And, that, and he just had a rough and tough bad boy character, you know, when he had his little incidents with Vince and everything. And when he finished, originally uh, turned down WCW to stay with the WWF at the time, he stayed upon that, but... Going into 1997, his contract expired again. Um, Vince at the time, WWF, was kind of struggling, not really succeeding in business as they are today. And they have been for the past 20-some years. They weren't really succeeding. You know, they were having a tough time. The ratings were low. At that, I don't know. In the beginning of the Monday Night Wars, that WCW, you know, they were compelling live matches, Uh, you know, real-time characters, real-life stories. They were, uh, you know, having the must-see TV, tune in, people to tune in, and WWF hasn't gone... They didn't go live yet. Monday Night Raw, when that came around that show was being taped at the beginning. It was, you know, a lot of the Mondays, everything was taped. Um. So uh, Vince couldn't pay Brett the big money, and he wasn't sure how long WWF was going to last around. You know, could have been to a point where they'd gone out of business, and WCW could have wound up being the true king of the Monday Night Wars. But, as we know, WWF didn't go out of business. And, you know, they wound up kicking WWE. Or, they, yeah, WWF, WWE, wound up kicking WCW's butt overall. Which led to Vince buying the company and putting WCW out of business. But, at the time, they, uh, they, um, let me say, They, You know, we're struggling a little bit. Vince goes to Brett, you know, and says, you know, hey, Brett, you should look into what Eric Bischoff, Ted Turner is going to offer you WCW and take advantage of it. You know, make yourself a career move. I can't pay you the money that they're paying you for you to stay and everything. So Brett was at a crossroads and toward going into the 1997, he started getting into a feud. This is when he was turned in the corner. He was kind of like the heel, no more the Canadian hero, Bret Hart. You know, he was, uh, started to become more of a heel-like character. The crowd was turning against him. He was kind of like, ah, the fans, you know, screw you fans. Uh, he would come to America and, you know, started doing a story where he's bashing America. And everything. He was still... Oh. Excuse me. He was still revealed as a hero in Canada to some. Where they would have Monday Night Raw's where he'd be in parts of Canada. And they'd cheer him. But here in America, they were blowing him pretty much. And, and uh, they decided... 97. He's going into his character... He gets himself into a feud with Shawn Michaels. And that. And, um. He gets himself into a feud with Shawn Michaels. You know, this leads up to uh, the infamous Montreal Screwjob of November of 97 at the Survivor Series. And that. And this was, I think, Shawn Michaels' first. First no, actually no, this was like a second match. And this is when uh Sean wound up, you know, beating getting the title from Brett and Sean becoming champion. They did have a match prior early in ninety seven is when they won an hour and Iron Man match in that. But I don't think Brett had the title at the time. They just had to start it started out a feud. And Shawn Michaels wound up winning it like in a, they went the full hour and they had like two pinfalls apiece. And then they went to that extra little overtime session where Shawn wound up beating him. But Brett has not captured the title just yet. And, um, these guys now go into the infamous Montreal Survivor Series, the Montreal Screwjob in Montreal. Um, here was the thing here now. This was the big, Great time, good storyline, compelling television. You know, this led into the pay-per-view. You know, Brett and Sean just had a heated rivalry, and a lot of this stemmed into personal real-life hatred for one another. Shawn Michaels had the cocky bad boy attitude. He was out with DX. He'd come out, and he announced, you know, everybody on Raw, and he accused of sleeping with uh, Sonny. The old Sonny, the old bimbo blonde manager, that Brett slept around, screwed with uh, Sonny, and that, which Brett denied, and he had a friendship with her backstage, but it never was anything sexual. You find out later on, there was a story, actually, Sonny wound up admitting that she had slept with Shawn Michaels backstage, and she had sex with him and a locker room one time prior to a, a pay per view, you know. Johnny figured he would tap that 'cause Sonny was a hot blonde bombshell with huge tits, you know, back in the day. You know, a lot of you wrestling fans could see that, you know, go look at old early Sonny. You know, she was she was se- she was a sexy lady. I have to admit that myself too, you know, long before Sable and everybody else come around, you know. Her I mean, Sable was there, but just long before her, and all these other you know, divas that came into the company. You know, you had Sonny. You know, she was the manager. She was the, you know, kickstarted a little bit of the, of the women part of the WWF. So, you know, Shawn was going on Monday Night Raw, and accusing Britt. You know, sleeping around with Sonny, sexual relationship. You know, um, they led up to their match. They were going into Survivor Series. Brett just signs a new deal. He goes to WCW. His contract expires in November. He had to wait a few, I think like 30 days or something like that. To where, you know, he could join WCW and everything. Or no, 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 not yet, not yet, no. Sorry. He, he signs with WCW and he's, you know, Survivor Series is going to be his last match against Shawn. But then here is the thing that Brett was champion and uh, he's going into his match with Shawn and Brett, you know, as you watch the uh, Hitman Wrestling, Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows documentary, you hear him with a microphone talking events, you know. Hey, you know, this is not the time. I don't want to lose my uh championship against, you know, Shawn at, the, at my hometown in Canada. Let me go the next night on Raw. You know, I could vacate the title. I could, you know, you know, fight in a match for the title. You know, yeah, I could lose the title next Monday night on Raw. You know, or even vacate it, and, that. and Vince, you know, just kind of, he wasn't really hearing that. But Vince was just asking, you know, would you lose it? Could you lose it to Sean at the pay-per-view? You know, him and Brett are going back and forth. And they really didn't have a final definitive answer going into the pay-per-view. So they wound up having one hell of a match at Survivor Series back and forth. And that good fight and overall crowd and everything. And uh, towards the end of the match, you see everything that started happening. Uh, you know Brett wound up getting knocked out and then Sean he's getting ready to do the move, put Brett in his own sharpshooter move, and that uh, and as soon as Brett or as soon as Sean got Brett in his own little move, he didn't even wait. You could see there was something wrong. Brett didn't get himself in a position to where he was like, oh, he's tapping out from the slurp shooter. Sean got him right in his move, and Vince, you see him jump up, you know, ring the bell, ring the bell, you know, and Sean wound up winning the title, and Brett was going to try to flip Sean over, and Brett was going to try to keep his belt, but Sean wound up getting the pinfall. With a quick count, Vince, you know, awarded the match to him. You know, Vince hands Sean the belt and then Sean's pissed off. He's all, you know, wondering what the hell, you know, going on. He acted he was acting confused and surprised about the events. So he leaves. Triple H comes out there, takes them. they go in the back. Brett's kind of looking in disgust. He turns around. He's drawing with Vince. You know, the Canadian crowds booing the shit out of Vince and you know, he's drawing with Vince, you know, what the hell are you doing? And he winds up Spitting in Vince's face, you know, and then and Brett's just in disgust. The rest of the Hart Foundation come out: Owen, uh, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, and Bulldog, and them, and <coughs> Brett's throwing all the camera, TV cameras, and you know, smashing everything up, and that, and then he gets back in the ring and. Owen and all them, they're talking to him, and then Brett does the WCW, you know. And then he finally leaves, and he goes backstage, and he confronts Vince about it. They go in the back room, and Brett's getting himself changed. He's getting ready to leave, and everything, he's getting ready to, you know, move on and go home for the night. And Vince come in the ring, or come in your locker room. Discuss what happened, and Brett just said, "You know, hey, you know, you fucker, you fucked with me the wrong way," and he wound up sucker punching Vince in the in his eye, and gave Vince a black eye. You see that next Monday night on Raw, Vince, you know, got the black eye, and then he's going on his TV spew with Jr. You know, I didn't screw Brett. Brett screwed Brett. You know. Brett didn't do what was good for business, you so he should have done the right thing. You know, I had to think of the company and the future of my company, you know, and then Brett, you know, that was pretty much it, you know, he just went home, he confronted Sean about it, he wanted to fight Sean, and Sean Michaels complaining he didn't know nothing about anything, and he swear to God Shaw or swear to God Brett I didn't know anything, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Brett goes home and he's done, you know, he's getting ready for his time, gets ready to go to WCW, plans the return there, his return to TV the next night on Monday Night Raw. Vince has got his little story interview with JR, and talks about, you know, Brett screwed Brett, Vince didn't screw Brett and then Shawn Michaels comes out, and then he's making a mockery of Brett, and, you know, we were in it all along, you know, you're a fool, Brett, you know, you're, you know, we got rid of you, you're done, you know, you're out of here, and they did a little spoof of Brett, played Brett's music, and they had a midget come out in a Brett Hart costume, and the little midget, Brett Hart's trying to attack Sean and Sean's holding him back with his hand, and... And then and it just pretty much was leading into a whole, you know, uh you know, the whole DX, you know, play the music and everything and and uh it was pretty much it. And then you find out later on in interviews and stories that Vince did know what he wanted to do, he was planning on screwing but all along. He wanted to have the Brett to do the right thing and drop the title there at the pay-per-view in Montreal, but Brett didn't want to do that, so Vince had to do the what he felt was best, and he screwed Brett out of the title. He uh, he screwed Brett out of the title. He you know, had the bell, ring the bell and everything, and he knew he had to get the title off of Brett's hands because Vince felt that... At the time, you know, Brett could have taken the WWF title and went to WCW and had it live on TV and throw it in the trash. and That would have been the nail in the coffin for the company and would, WWF would have been out of business. Prior to that, when Nitro was going early 96, they had a, a lady wrestler went to WCW, Medusa, Alondra Blaze. She walks on she uh, walks on the Monday Nitro and that, and stands in front of Bischoff and takes the women's title and throws it in the trash, you know. And that was a big major blow there, too. That was when wrestlers could jump over to the company in the next night, not having to sit the 90-day no-compete clause. They, you know, they could just, you know, go, you know, right over the next night, you know, and... Now you gotta, you know, if you're leaving one company, you gotta wait 90 days from WWE, the no compete clause, before you go anywhere else AEW, TNA, New Japan, any other small independent Ring of Honor. But back then you could jump, you know, different companies in over a night period. As you've seen, Lex Luger did that too. Wrestled for WWE on on a, a weekend night and then came over to Monday Nitro on a Monday night. Yeah, so, so you know, time went on, you know, Sean and Nat did his little, you know, kept rolling the ball with that, and champion DX, and he screwed around with the other members of the Hart Foundation that were still on TV, Bulldog Owen, Jim the Anvil, Neidhart, and that, and then, uh, so Brett's done, he goes over to WCW, he comes popping up on a December episode, actually... If you remember the night before after Survivor Series on Monday Nitro, you had the NWO come out do a vignette, and they're you know they're singing, you know they're singing old Canada. They had the Canadian flags. They're all singing there. Bischoff and Mr. Perfect and Liz and everybody, and they're all saying, Oh, Canada. And they make the announcement, you know, that Bret Hart is joining the New World Order, but you didn't see Bret on TV just yet. And that that was good, compelling TV, too, on Nitro when they did that. Then you had also prior, it was the week before, I believe, when Rick Rude did his famous appeared on Monday Nitro and he was on WWE the WWF Raw at the same time that just brain scrambled the wrestling fans myself included you know people didn't know that Raw was being taped back then it wasn't a live show you've seen Rick Rude working with DX and Shawn Michaels and everything Rick Rude's got the big thick beard got the briefcase suit and Talking about what he's going to do with helping Sean and Triple H and DX. And then you go to the live Monday Nitro. He comes out, you know, Hogan introduced him, NWO introduce him. Rick Rude's got himself all cleaned up, got the mustache and he's wearing the suit. Does the Hogan, the too sweet comes out to the ring and that. But then that night after he, uh, he speaks on the mic and he says, you know, what was wrong was Shawn Michaels screwing Brett out of the match at, you know, at the Survivor Series, you know,
1: and then he's like, "What's right
0: is me myself coming over here, getting off the Titanic and swimming to the refuge of the New World Order," you know, and he, you know, he switches over, and then, and then uh, pretty much like, uh, like I say, Brett, Came to WCW, finally did his Nitro debut, like, the second week of December. And then he speaks, you know, I'm excited to be here, part of Nitro, and get to have some good quality matches with Stings and the Lux Lugers and the Ric Flairs and Hawk Hogans and Macho Mans. And, you know, we can have some good, compelling story matches. And, you know, people figured that Brett was hot. He was the free agent, main free agent. Back then, he got a lucrative contract. It was like a three-year, twenty-one million dollar deal, or something like that. Something, something to make he made three to five million a year. You know, no other wrestler got that. And uh, he comes over. You know, I'm gonna have me some compelling, good story, story, good matches, and everything. But they didn't throw him right into a match just yet. They wind up sticking Brett. And Bischoff comes out, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're NWO. And then Brett's still not committing to the NWO yet. And they throw Brett in as a special guest enforcer for Sting and Hogan at Starcade 1997, the end of the year. And that was a whole year-long build-up pay-per-view, which was perhaps the best year-long build-up ever for a pay-per-view. The Rock and Cena tried to do a year-long bit build-up, and that just failed completely. Not enough build-up. You could have done a lot of year-long pay-per-view build-ups. You could have done a whole thing with Dean Ambrose and everything with Seth Rollins. You know, you could have recycled a Sting storyline with that. But that's, I'll go into, you know, today's WWE later time. So, Bret Hart is the, you know, special guest enforcer for Sting and Hogan at Starcade. They go have their match and everything. And, uh, you know, Hogan automatically, you know, he didn't want to really, you know, he, he wanted a, a wild way to lose. He was going to lose to Sting. He didn't want to do a quick, easy pin from Sting. And, that, and then it's that was a good, compelling, classic match, Sting and Hogan. And that Hogan first got the win. And and the way Hogan got the pin, it was the ref doing a fast count. And then Brett come out, you know, oh, no, this ain't happening again. He beat up the ref and brought Hogan back into the ring. He was walking away with the belt, threw Hogan back in the ring. And then Sting did a stinger splash. And Sting, you know, did beat up on Hogan. Sting got the one, two, three. Brett Hart counted the actual count. You know, and then Sting celebrating with the title, all the rosters comes out and celebrates its thing, and Brett's there, you know, high fiving and slapping hands with everybody and Hogan dropped his belt, you know. Uh quick commercial break. I'll be back. We're back. So as Brett got into WCW, um pretty much you hear the stories as going in today, WCW didn't use them the proper way that WWF did and that they should have done. Brett wanted to go in and have all these compelling matches. He wanted to have Hulk Hogan right away, but then Hogan, he was the main politician back then in WCW fought who he wanted to fight. Didn't fight who he wanted to fight in the beginning, that first full year or so, you know, he wasn't, uh, he was, you know, talking to the bosses, backstage Bischoff, and everything, you know. I'm not going to fight Brett right now, you know. Put me in other matches. I'm doing other things with other people. And and uh, Brett didn't get thrown into the big time right away and didn't get the WCW title. And that. so Brett's going into all these early matches. He's getting thrown in with the likenesses of the Chris Benoit's, the Ric Flair's, the Sting's. Put into U.S. title feuds with DDP, which wound up himself winning early, you know, pay-per-view matches against DDP for the U.S. title. And that, and there was just any other thing. It was not thrown against Hogan right away where he could have fought. And then that, and that kind of like pissed Brett off, you know, they had him doing all this major stupid shit. He come out into the ring and he talk promo and, you know. We're going to cross paths one day, Hogan, you know. It just didn't come to fruition at the time. And uh, Hogan just used his politics, you know. He just, you know, didn't allow Brett to have a title opportunity because he didn't want to lose his title to Brett. You know, Hogan figured he was the star attraction. He was the moneymaker, you know, not having not having the belt on, uh, you know, or, not, you know, if they gave Brett the belt, that he wouldn't have draw the money. That ratings, the attraction, wouldn't be the cash cow for the company. And I, Hogan was still the cash cow. He was still the main draw, and that, and that just took his took Bret Hart's value down as his character, as he was red hot coming off Survivor Series with Shawn Michaels. You know, WCW didn't you know squandered his opportunity. If you remember later on in ninety eight, um it was pretty much I think the first time they threw Brett with Hogan was in a tag team match. And it was against Sting and Ultimate Warrior had jumped in there. And it was a tag match for Monday Nitro. And then I think down the road they did wind up having a uh, they did wind up having a match together. Yeah, and that didn't go too well. I think that led into disqualification. NWO ran out and and uh, pretty much that was it there, you know. And then you've seen later on down the road ninety nine, before Brett retired in two thousand, you know, Brett just you know, I'm you know, sick of it here, you know. I wish I you know, never got out that world opportunities, world title opportunities, you know. They made me you know, they they took Hogan and they put him away from me. And you now I can't even, you know, fight Hogan. You know, Hogan's using his politics against me. Blah, 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 you know. And then eventually they did grant Brent the world title. You know, afterwards they gave him, you know, they gave him a title opportunity shot and let him be champion and that. But then they had Hogan doing his own thing. And, uh. pretty much end of that on that brett you know just his wcw career just kind of went into the tubes in the toilet you know and then eventually he had to retire you know he fought bill goldberg and goldberg gave him a concussion he kicked brett in the head wrong the moves didn't time out right and brett did get kicked in the head by goldberg and he screwed up his neck and gave him headaches and Brett had to call it quits, call it at the end of the day. Starkade ninety or two thousand, I believe. Ninety nine, two thousand. Ninety-nine, I think, the end of ninety-nine. You know, he called it, you know, they called it he called it quits, you know. Had to step off. And and then Hogan just did his own thing, went in his own little world of WCW. WWF. They uh you know, they pretty much you know, went back did their own thing, the Attitude Era, which led up to Shawn Michaels losing, like I said, Stone Cold and the pay-per-view, and and went into the Austin Era, and that, and, uh, you know, who all remembers Stone Cold, too. He come out to the ring and had the beer truck and drove the beer truck into into the arena, and the crowd just going freaking nuts. I think that was his match against The Rock. He sprayed down McMahon and, and all them with the beer and that. And you see the man doing the swimming like a fish. And it was funny stuff, you know. And that was just, it was just amazing, you know. Just seeing the crowd reactions from Austin back in the day. And, you know, today's WWF can WWE can't even do that. You know, these, these wrestlers today don't even have that star charisma that Austin had. The Rock had. The Undertaker in his heyday. And. You know, McFoley and Triple H and everything, they just they couldn't hold a candle. And that. And uh as I was leaving off from the last part one we were talking about, it was getting to the ending of uh ninety nine, two thousand, everything was changing in WCW. Time Warner was getting ready to buy the company. And when they weren't going to buy the company, that they didn't want nothing to do with wrestling. They were going to scrap wrestling all together. And eventually, that's what wound up happening. Nitro just got so bad in 99 and 2000, the ratings were just in the crapper. You know, Vince Russo couldn't help and everything. So then, and then in uh, early 2001, March, was the end of the end of WCW? They wound up selling the company over to uh, WWE. Vince bought the competition, and Bischoff was really in line to buy the company, and that. And they told Bischoff, you know, hey, we'll sell you everything, but we'll give you the rings, we'll give you the library and everything, but we can't give you any TV time. And Bischoff. You know, he made the mistake he wishes he would have bought it where he could have just sat on that and got himself a TV deal and wanted to come back in October, November and take his WCW program and take it out to Las Vegas where they could have taped, you know, there. But he didn't think of that at the time. He just wanted to get WCW, keep it going. And then that deal was done. And he knew some people, too, that was supposed to buy the company, and that all fell through, and they didn't go that direction. And then WCW, Time Warner sold to Vince McMahon, and Vince bought the competition. You know, 2001 was the final broadcast. Vince was in Cleveland. Vince, you know, rambled on about what WCW guys should come aboard WWE, WWF. You know, they did the cheers and the boos and... (coughs) and that and then he talked about his match against shane at wrestlemania and then you see shane the music hits shane comes out and vince is looking where's shane where's shane and vince and shane goes to wcw nitro in panama city and then the joint podcast or the joint simulcast which was cool you know shane came out and you know everybody's going nuts and Shane, you know, I'm gonna whoop your ass dead at WrestleMania, you know, and I've signed the papers and now I own WCW and we're gonna kick your butt with the like WCW kicked your butt in the past, we're gonna kick your butt again and he's like, I'll see you at WrestleMania, you know, and, and then and that's how Nitro come to an end. And then you had your you know, it was pretty much wrestling was done there. So WWE has become the undisputed champ. They knocked off their competition, you know, 98, 99. The product is red hot, you know. They're uh, they're just rolling along. You have an Undertaker in his prime, Kane coming around, Mark Henry, you know, uh, APA, you know, APA agency was at Bradshaw and Farouk forget what was that damn it protection agency where they were the kick-ass guys drink beer and beat up people and uh you know you had all your compelling characters you just had crazy storylines on everything 98 99 99 chris jericho came along and did the whole save us with y2j got into a program with the rock at the beginning big show come aboard and big show and austin did some matches and they weren't too keen on Big Show. They loved his size, but they didn't give him a push right away because he still was kind of like slow. You know, he wasn't a moving, quick moving. He wasn't to WWE standards, you know. And uh, WWF was just rolling. They were red hot. They had good stories and had tremendous matches throughout its time, its course. And WCW, you remember remember the end of '98 where Nash knocked off Goldberg for the title. You jump into the first Nitro of the 1999 in January. It was the broadcast where McFoley wound up winning the, uh, the he wound up winning the title, McFoley did, where he beat the rock on the, on the Monday Night Raw with Stone Cold's help and everything and that and then WCW Nitro at the time they did a good storyline they had Goldberg being arrested for harassment on Liz they were in Georgia Dome in Atlanta again it was Nash and Hogan at the end Nash had the belt and he was going to challenge Hogan he'd beat Hogan and if you wanted to fight Goldberg Goldberg could come into the ring too and that and that led into a you know crazy night there and uh Then at the time, toward the end, Bischoff, you know, they were losing their ratings and everything, and Bischoff tells Tony Schiavone on the commentary, you know, "Uh, over there in our competition, uh, Mick Foley used to wrestle here as Cactus Jack is going to win their world title, you know, and you hear Tony Schiavone, that's going to put some butts in the seats, you know, and. And that, and people were watching WCW's programming, and they were, you know, winning the night for the ratings. And as soon as Tony Schiavone said that, WWE people was like, or the WWF fans were like, oh, really? You know, Foley's going to win. Click. You know, they knew they could watch Foley's title run before Nitro would even end. And that, and uh, after that night, that was like WWF just took over, and they kept the ratings you know, to time WCW went out of business. So you see Foley's title reign on that on Raw, and the crowd was nuts, Stone Cold was there, and uh, Foley's celebrating, he's happy and everything, and uh, you know, and DX was defeated, or not DX, DX was celebrating with him, Foley's happy, and, and that, and then Vince and the corporation, he's all bummed out about it, the Rock lost, and and that, and then, uh, Raw ends. Fans go back into Nitro. Here's your main event. You know, Hogan and Nash for the title. And that, and then you have Hogan and Nash there and they're getting ready. They're going to have a good battle and everything. And then all of a sudden you see Nash, you know. Tell Hogan, come on, hit me, hit me, hit me. And then Hogan just touches him and Nash just falls over. Hogan jumps on him with a matter of seconds and gets the pin. And everybody in the crowd all just shocked and stunned. And that match led to what is called today the finger poke of doom. And then an NWO celebrating in the ring. It's the rebirth of the NWO, which was the Wolf Pack. You know, NWO Wolf Pack and NWO Black and White. Became two separate factions. Everybody was, there was too many members of the NWO. They decided to split them up and they have two factions. So then Nash, <coughs> it was Nash and Hall in the, in the ring. And then you had Scott Steiner and Hogan all celebrating and they're beating up or they're all celebrating and, and that Hogan does the spray painting of the red NWO and everything. And, and then you see Goldberg in the end of that story he gets free from the cops, you know, you're free to go, you know, and he makes it to the arena and he's running through the, he's running through the Georgia dome and everything. And, and you hear Bishop, what's he doing here? What's he doing here? And the crowd knew Goldberg was coming and Goldberg ran down to the ring and he just puts an ass whooping on everybody except for Hogan. And that, and Hogan's getting himself out of the way. And that, and then Goldberg, you know, he finally, he gets a, uh, he gets his just revenge on Hall and Nash and Steiner and everything. And then Hogan hits him with a belt and then that's like hits Goldberg and that's his kryptonite. He just starts taking an ass whooping from Hogan and comes back and they start whooping on Hogan. And then you see Lex Luger come down to the ring and Lex Luger's giving the stare down to uh Hogan and everything and then Lex Luger does the you know, the God, what was Lex Luger's finishing move, the When that was it, you know, when Lex Luger had him on on Goldberg on his back and everything. I know I'm a brain fart on that. And that and then Lex Luger, you know, joins the NWO Wolf Pack, you know, and and then they're all just celebrating and then they handcuff Goldberg to the ring post and they're spray painting Goldberg and red paint and spray painting his head and and that and everybody's just throwing trash in there again. The torture wreck. Yeah, Lex Luger's torture rack. And, uh, you know, that was the end of the WCW Nitro that night, you know. And Kevin Nash, you know, looking at the cameras. Can you say deja vu again, Hogan? You know, and they're all laughing. NWO, we're back. You know, we're you know, better than ever. You know, and then now that was the end of that one. But um, all in all, though, WWF, they wind up you know, they wound up winning. They beat the competition. And, that, and they just, they were rolling. They had hot products. They, you know, everybody was hot.
1: You know,
0: everybody was doing their own characters. You know, Triple H was coming around to do his character. You know, they had the whole McMahon-Helmsley era. You know, Triple H did the drugging of Stephanie in Las Vegas. And had Stephanie married to Triple H. Or Stephanie was supposed to marry Test, And that didn't all happen. Stephanie's crying. I hate you. You know, and then that turned into a heel turn where Stephanie become a member of the McMahon Helmsley faction. And they like built the DX up a little bit farther. You know, they were like DX, but not DX actually, you could say. And, uh, You know, they just led to a hot product. and just had a lot of stories. You know, Undertaker, he got away from the dead man gimmick. He was the biker gimmick, rolling in a motorcycle. And that he played, they played his music still a little bit, upbeat remix. But they give him a motorcycle, you know, music to him come running out, you know, riding out to the ring. Him and Kane, Brothers of Destruction, you know, they wound up having a tag team run for a little bit. You know, just WWF, the product was hot, you know. You had the new guys coming in, Edge, and you had new newcomers. Uh, you know, you had uh, Kurt Angles coming in, and, and then and you were doing characters with Eddie Guerrero and Malenko and Chris Benoit and everything, and you started doing more with that, you know. and You still had your WWE, you know, the Divas were... Women started getting into wrestling, and they were doing a women's title, and still doing a little bit of TNA brawn panties matches, and, and that, and that uh, was just a it was just a crazy time. And then you had 1999 come around, you know, you had Owen Hart. He was, you know, he was rolling. He had a good character. He was the only one that didn't go over to WCW. Anvil and Bulldog did sign to Nitro for a little bit. But they didn't stay because then they wound up having drug issues and they wound up having alcohol issues, drinking and that while wrestling. They got fired, but then Owen never left. Brett did want to have Owen in the WCW, but that never come a be. And WWF gave Owen a big contract. And Owen, you know, he was the the man, the only one left from the Hart Foundation not to go to WCW, and he stayed in the WWF, and that and then that was a that was a major storyline there. That was really sad, and that was just that was just a main that was a main time to be a part of, you know, for young wrestling fans that didn't get to see back then. You had Owen Hart. Uh, toward his time in May, in April of May of ninety nine, he was getting into the Blue Blazer gimmick. He would come down, you know, harness from top of the arena, and he'd come into the arena, and, and then people weren't supposed to know that it was Owen Hart, but you knew it was Owen Hart. You know, dressing up as the Blue Blazer, he had Blue Blazer gimmick many, many moons ago, early eighties, and everything, and and that and this led to a match. And that in 99, he was going to fight the Godfather for the, yeah, was it the Godfather? He was going to fight the Godfather, I think, for the Intercontinental title. And that, and they were at a pay per view in Kansas City over the edge. And that, and uh, they were, you know, Vince in the, in the management and the storyline, you know, telling Owen, you know, hey, we want you to come down from top of the arena coming to the ring as the blue blazer and everything and would you be willing to do that instead of coming out of the normal way would you be coming from on top of the arena harnessed down and that and Owen wasn't too sure about it but then Owen wound up doing that and he said he wound up feeling uneasy about it to the whole day and And then when pay-per-view time came they were getting ready to do the announcement and then blue blazer you know he was getting ready. He was getting harnessed to come down to the ring from atop the arena in Kansas City. And, that, and then he's, he's coming down. The harness breaks. There was a mishap. The harness breaks. And then uh, you see Owen Hart falls, you know, so many thousand or hundreds of feet up in the air. And he falls to the ring in the turnbuckle. He falls to his death. You know, and then I was like, wow, you know. You find out more about it. I found out more about it the next day and the day after, you know, Owen Hart, you know, there was an accident. Owen fell to his death, you know, it was just bad timing and that and Owen died, but they didn't show. They were at a tape delay at the pay-per-view and they didn't show Owen fall to his death. They had a tape delay to where you didn't see that part. And then Jr. and Lawler, they were just shocked and, in disbelief that, you know, Owen fell to his death and they reported to the wrestling fans, you know, Owen Hart has passed away. He died to his injuries, bled internally inside and his, his neck and his head were hit the ring, the turnbuckle and the ring, you know, part of the ring and that, and, uh, he fell to his death and they kind of like suspended that match and then the crowd, you know, it's stunned and they're in disbelief and, you know, couldn't believe everything. And then, you know, as they took Owen to wait, you know, they put Owen on a stretcher and took him to the back and they announced his death. And, uh, you know, and then, and then uh Brett at the time in WCW, he was going, he was traveling. He didn't know that his brother died and that, and uh he wound up leaving, forget where he was at. He was going, I think he was leaving L.A. and he was going back to Calgary and that, and or he was he was coming from Montreal or Calgary and he was going out to LA or something and and, uh he you know was flying on his airplane once he got down he kind of knew somebody told him on the plane that he knew his brother killed in a pay-per-view he talked to somebody on the phone mentioned that to him and said hey you know you just missed the pay-per-view Brett's brother Owen died and on a pay-per-view, and and the dude, you know, said, "Hey, I got Brett on the flight with me. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell Brett Hart that, you know." And Brett just couldn't believe it. He's like, "No, I couldn't be my brother. I just talked to him, you know." And and, that, and uh, you know, he told Brett, and Brett was just sad and like shocked. And then he got off the plane in L.A. And then Eric Bischoff was waiting for him, and he broke the news to Brett. And said, "Hey, your brother died at the pay-per-view." And he said, "Yeah, I know. Somebody told me." And then, then Brett took some time off at WCW, and he came into a, a Nitro where he he uh, you know did a tribute match him and Chris Benoit. That was before Benoit wound up going over to the WWF, and that it was like one of Chris Benoit's late at last matches in WCW, and that and you know they had a tribute match, which was a good 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 match overall. So, Owen, you know, they had they had his death. He had his death on the pay-per-view the next night. Raw did a whole big tribute for him. And everybody's just in tears. And it was the big, you know, have a box of Kleenex with you, you know. And everybody's speaking on Owen. The whole night was for Owen. Matches were for Owen. The show ended with Stone Cold coming out to the ring and doing his salute, drinking his beers. And they had Owen on the Titan Tron in loving memory. And... Austin cracked open a beer for Owen and that, and Austin wasn't too keen on Owen because it went prior years that Owen and Austin had a match and Owen did a pile driver on Austin and Owen dropped Austin on his head and screwed up his neck and that made Austin, you know, had uh, his neck and started having neck issues and that kind of like, he had uh, not had his balance after his match against Owen he beat Owen and that but he had to be helped to the back because his neck and that was all screwed up he usually like his equilibrium was screwed up and that and uh he felt that Owen did that deliberately and they never got to apologize and they never squashed their beef with each other and that led to Owen's you know when Owen died and that Austin felt bad that he never got to you know uh you know stay they never got to sit down and hatch up their differences, you know, and then everybody's just, it was just a sob show. You know, Jeff Jarrett was close with Owen. He was a wreck and, you know, and Triple H crying a little bit for Owen's loss and Deborah McMichael was Owen or Jeff Jarrett's manager. And, you know, you've seen other people, you know, Shane crying, Stephanie crying you know, everybody was just, it was a sad night, you know. You know, Edge and Christian and that, they just came into the ring, re- you know. They were just coming in newcomers, you know, and they didn't even, they were going to have, you know, future episodes, you know, future programs with Owen, and that just never happened. And Edge and Christian, they were Canada boys, and, you know, they looked up, everybody looked up to Owen as a role model. He was a leader, and, you know, all the other wrestlers, you know, thought of Owen as a superhuman, nice guy, you know, most caring individual in the world. And You know, we'll miss you, Owen, and blah, 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 and, and that. And just a lot of, just a lot of, just, it was just an interesting time, you know, that story. And like I said earlier, you know, Bret Hart and his WCW time to the end of the WWE career, you know, they just there was a lot of compelling, good storylines back in its heyday, you know. The early 90s, you know, wrestling was just a fun time to watch. Drew big ratings, you had good stories, you know, wrestling felt, you were there, you know, you were involved, you know, you something you could tell your friends the next day, you know, hey, did you see this on TV, did you see this, you know. He even goes back to as a kid, you know, when Hulk Hogan did his thing, and you're just like, wow, you know. You know, and just to this day, you will never see that compelling of good TV anymore, you know. Today's TV, they just, nobody has it, you know. Nobody has that storytelling. You know, they're telling a story, but it's just not nothing that's attention, uh, getting the attention of this audience, the older audience. These young new kids, you know, they just think the up-and-coming talent is just the greatest thing ever, you know. They love Roman Reigns, they boo Roman Reigns. You know, you got others, you know, the Seth Rollins and people that are still going, your edges and Ray Mysterio's and, and that, and, uh, you know, just a lot of, a lot of ground to cover, you know. I could, you know, go into even more WCW stories and everything and I could, you know, I can wind up turning this into a four, five, six parter, but I'm trying to. Keep it going. Maybe we'll go into a part four of the wrestling, you know, because we're coming up here on the end. And, uh, I'll, qu- I'll show you a quick little story now. Um, you know, here, here you go in 2001. WWF is running wild. They're doing great. You know, they got all these characters. They got must see TV and that. And, uh, the first Raw after WCW went out of business, they decided to go with the storyline. Oh, we're gonna bring WCW over to Raw. And they were gonna like have the last half hour of the night or something like that. It was like the last part of the night. They actually originally wanted to do like a last hour for a while. They were going to do the last hour of WCW, combine it with uh, Monday Night Raw. Two hours for WWF Raw. To the last hour of WCW Nitro, and they brought back Arn Anderson and they brought that Scott Hudson. He was on the last Nitro with Tony Schiavone. And I remember that first WWF Raw programming when they did the WCW, brought it back, and then they had WCW and a new logo, red, and everybody's wearing their shirts and everything. And, uh, the main event for that night was, uh, Booker T and Buff Bagwell, and that and they were fighting, you know. And they Booker T had his WCW title, you know, he wound up winning the title at the end. He even had the U.S. title because he beat Scott Steiner, and you know, they had two belts at the time. And it was him and Buff Bagwell fighting into a match, and and uh, and uh, they wound up. They wound up uh, going. You know, they wound up fighting, and then the the match at the end, the bell rang. It was uh, Austin and Angle come out, and they're beating up. And they just got into a program with uh, Angle and Austin come out, and they got into a program with Booker T, and they're beating up on Booker T, and that, and Buff Bagwell, he goes away, and that, and then that's how, like, WCW ended on the Nitro, or the Nitro ended on the WWF broadcast and then then when that Raw ended and then you heard like a few days later that Buff Bagwell was fired because he rubbed management the wrong way and he thought he was going to do his own thing and it was going to continue you know his his, you know way he wanted to be treated I'm the star and you know he didn't know you know that he was going to be canned and then they let him go because he just had a bad attitude cocky attitude and You know, that was done. That was the end of his wrestling career. You never really seen him anymore. I think he did appear on TNA and, you know, did some stuff independently and that throughout his, you know, years afterwards. But then now he's just, he disappeared, you know. he's just a fart in the wind. He's gone now, you know. Last time you hear from Buff Bagwell was on social media. He just like he got real aged real badly, and he got his ass whooped by somebody, and he was talking crazy like he was gonna kill his wife, and like he had some personal problems going on, personal demons, and and that. And uh, well, I'm gonna leave it off here. This was the end of part two of Make Wrestling Great Again. Next time I'm gonna come aboard. I will get into, uh, start talking into the 2000, 2001 programming and go on, you know, to mostly, you know, today's times get closer as we talk to today's wrestling, but now we're going to go into this era where, you know, 2001 WCW is coming in, you know, they do the invasion angle we're going to get into all that. And, uh. Start talking about how The Rock and Austin pretty much getting to the end of their careers. Austin's body started getting and wound down. He had to walk away, step away. Rock wound up leaving. He wound up going to Hollywood, and that began his movie career. And then it goes into 2002, 2003. You started getting some new upcoming talent from the OVW class. And that led into some young individuals who become superstars today, John Cena and Randy Orton and Batista. This is Big Ben Shady signing off. Uh, Follow me on social media again. Uh, Shout out to my boy Whiskey Nick and stay tuned for future podcasts, me and him being together and check out his podcast and he's always got stuff to say and sharing stories and uh, I will see you guys on the flip side. And, uh, have a good one. Bye bye.